Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The conversational message you're about to hear was originally shared at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, March 6, 2022. It focuses on the events of Jesus' final week and what would have been different if certain things hadn't happened as they did. The message to all who will listen is God had a plan to save the world and successfully executed it from beginning to end. Now, here are Pastors Mike Neifert and Scott Rose. All right, well, we are ready to hear God's Word, and we're going to go to that in just a second, but I'm going to open up with a word of prayer, because just hearing God's Word without the Holy Spirit's help, we miss stuff. The Spirit helps us to understand what God is trying to say to us, so let's uh, pray together, and then we'll go forward with what we've got today. God, thank you for your goodness to us and your mercy toward us, and I pray, God, that you would uh, bless this time together as we go to your word, and that you would accomplish your purposes, what you designed this time for, and we just thank you that you're going to do that. And I pray that your good news and, and the, the gospel of Jesus and salvation through him would come through clearly as we talk today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Scott and I have been friends for a long time. We've been hanging out at pastors' retreats and ministry conferences and stuff. And so back in December, he and I and Roy did this together. And we decided, let's try this again. We're going to talk a little bit this morning. And hopefully uh, you're going to hear God's word and hear God's spirit speaking to you. And so I'm going to throw it over to you to kind of introduce this, the, the theme for the day. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. I got a confession to make as we begin that I'm kind of like a superhero nerd. I love all the Marvel movies and all that. And a while back ago, I got Disney Plus because I want to watch the superhero movies. And they're all on there because Disney owns the right. But in there, they have a lot of other shows. And one of the shows that I got kind of hooked on is called What If? What if is basically about all these superheroes and people in this, what they call the Marvel universe, that it gives us an alternate reality. What if Steve Rogers hadn't become Captain America? What if Steve Bannon had not become the Incredible Hulk? And, and different things like that. What if Loki wasn't Loki? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What if he wasn't a bad guy? <laughs> what if... Or would have had a chainsaw instead of a hammer. I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> there probably wouldn't be any forests left. <laughs> so Mike and I got to talking about this a little bit. He, he came up with the idea of, hey, why don't we do another conversational message like we did with Roy back in December? And that idea, what if, popped up. And I think it's, it's really good for us to think, about that in terms of the Gospels and, and Jesus and, and what God's doing in the world. What if things that we know of were different than what we know they really are? So this morning, I think Mike and I are going to explore that a little bit. Yep, and so the first question we're going to answer or try to answer is, what if Judas had not betrayed Jesus or Peter had not denied him? I had fun with this one. I'm going to be honest. I, I really did. What if Judas had not betrayed Jesus? So in my mind, I had to go back to the whole 
um, Passover meal they're having in the upper room, right? And so there's Judas and Jesus and the 12 disciples. They're all gathered around the table. They're eating and, and having, a, having a grand old time celebrating the Passover. And of course, Jesus is teaching them. But now we do know that what happened, but Judas, instead of betraying Jesus, they... They have their meal together. Maybe they go out to the, the Mount of Olives and have some worship time together there with Jesus. And then it's it's just kind of all over, right? They just continue going about life like they have every other day. There's Jesus and his 12 walking around. Jesus is still teaching them. Of course, we do know that there would have been no betrayal, Right? That with no betrayal, there would have been no arrest. There wouldn't have been anything. So instead, life would have just gone on. And Peter not denying Jesus. Well, obviously, we do know that if Judas did not betray Jesus, Peter would have denied Jesus. And I could I could just picture Peter here. First of all, Judas, he's 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 cool now. You know, there's there's nothing wrong. Nothing's gonna happen. But then there's Peter. You know, Peter, he's, he's the boisterous one. He's the proud one and all that. So if he had never denied Jesus, he would have been walking around. Maybe he would have felt bigger than what he really is. I don't know. What do you think about that, Mike? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to think about. Because like, like you said, if Judas doesn't betray Jesus, he's not arrested. He's not crucified. And I think we can say this on all of these questions. There's no salvation. We've actually talked about some other scenarios that have nothing to do with Easter. We're focusing on Easter this morning, but there's things all throughout Jesus's life that when you look at the scripture, the things that happened, they had to have happened that way or we have no salvation. And the devil threw all sorts of things at Jesus to try to stop him, to try to kill him even in his birth. But uh, we do want to, every time we ask this what-if question, we want to go back and make sure that we understand what really did happen. Because the good news is that these things did happen. And so we want to go to Matthew 26. And starting in verse 14, it says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. We would like things in life to go smoothly, and we don't like it when people betray us. But in order for Jesus to get to the cross, this is what happened. And, and so if you go a little bit further down in uh, Matthew 26, verses 20 to 25, Jesus tells them in verse 21, I tell you somebody's going to betray me. And they're all sad and they all say, surely it's not going to be me. Uh, Judas is sitting there knowing it's him because he's got those coins jingling around in his pocket. I don't know, do they have pockets? Maybe it was a pouch. Anyway, he's got those 30 pieces of silver jingling around and he actually says, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, you've said so in verse uh, 25. And so that leads to Jesus' arrest. And my favorite story of Jesus' arrest is in John chapter 18. And the reason that I like it especially, all of them talk about Judas coming and Judas kissing Jesus so they know who to arrest. 
But John is the only one that, that has this little bit. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read <laughs> verses 4 through 6. The picture is these soldiers have come to arrest Jesus. In verse 4, it says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him. So there he is. He's God's son. He knows what's going to happen. He went out to them and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Amen. It doesn't report that in any other gospels, but it's like, I am. That's the name that God gave to Moses. Jesus is declaring, I'm God. And just the power of that knocks everybody to the ground. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. How do you arrest a guy that can knock you to the ground by just saying his name? A great picture of God's power and his, his sovereignty even in that moment. Jesus, unless he lets them arrest him, he's not going to be arrested because he has all power. He's God. He's chosen. It says in Philippians, he didn't find equality with God something to be grasped, but gave it up so that he could save us. And so he became a man. And as a man, he was willing to go to the cross, but he willingly went. He chose. It wasn't that they were arresting him. It was that he chose to allow them to arrest him. And you know, I, I, I found a verse uh, I thought was really interesting, too, about Judas. And it's out of uh, John chapter 13. And as they're get preparing for that Passover meal, or they're having a Passover meal, and starting in verse 1, and it says that it, it, was, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas, Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And then uh, a little further little further down in verse 11, it says, well, starting in verse 10, after Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he says, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not everyone was clean. So he's talking about Judas. And then again in chapter 13, in verse 21 through 30, he said, After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him, which one he means. <laughs> Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus had said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Yeah, so we get, we get this picture of Judas that he was already under the devil's influence. And, and isn't it interesting, as Mike was saying, about 
all this thing. You know, it was all part of the plan. One other thing about that particular passage, Jesus washed Judas's feet. Yeah. He still served him. Even those who were going to betray him, and he washed Peter's feet too, even though Peter argued with him. The, the guy that was going to betray him, the guy that was going to deny him, he still washed their feet. And so you may think you're too far gone. You aren't. God loves you, and he is with you and, and loves you deeply. It says that he showed them the full extent of his love, and that was in service. And uh, just real quickly on Peter, I love uh, in Luke chapter 22 is where we have the picture of Peter, and we could have gone to all the gospels on most of these things, but I'm just kind of picking and choosing here. In Luke chapter 22, Peter is in that courtyard, the young lady, approaches him. He says, I don't know him. A little bit later, somebody else says, hey, you know him. There's all that talk about your accent gives you away, like you, you're you from Alabama or something. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that's the kind of thing though, right? You know, you recognize that accent. And Peter, on the last time in verse 60, uh, 60 to 62, it says, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And imagine the humility, though, how much that humbled Peter by, by that taking place. Yeah, and one of the things that, that Scott didn't mention that I thought of on the what if, if Peter hadn't denied Jesus, would he have been martyred? We don't know. I mean... If he had stood up and said, I'm with him, would he have been drug off and arrested? Who knows? Uh, I mean, obviously, this is speculation. So uh, I think we're done with that one for now. Yeah, well, I, I have a what if question for you, Mike. I uh, thought you might. Oh, yeah. You, you know, I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy. Uh, what if Pilate had not given in to the crowd that day? All right. So uh, we know that... Uh, the relationship between the Jews, if we look at historical documents, we know that the relationship between the Jews and Pilate was not great. In fact, I just heard this week that as Jesus was coming in, we're going to talk about the triumphal entry next week, when he was coming in on Palm Sunday, that it actually that Pilate had been away from the city and came back at about the same time with his, his army to keep the peace because the Jews tended to get all riled up and feisty at Passover. There had been times in the past where they had had armed rebellions at the Passover, and so the Prince of Peace, Pilate, shows up to kind of make sure that things aren't, aren't, aren't going to go kind of crazy. And so what if Pilate hadn't given into the crowd? Would Jesus have been crucified? Would there have been a riot? We don't know for sure. Obviously, we're just speculating, but we might have been hearing about this time in history for a different reason other than that Jesus died on the cross. We might be looking at our history books and say, wow, that's when that rebellion took place. And so Pilate rightfully so is nervous. You can kind of catch that if you look at the, all the stories about Pilate and how he interacts with Jesus. He's pretty nervous. He's a little bit like, uh, what am I going to do now? They're going to go crazy. These these Jews that I'm over, who, who sent me to this pit of a place? Uh, that's kind of the attitude that he had. And in fact, he had a, a very tenuous relationship with the current uh, 
emperor of Rome at that time because he had been on the side of a guy that kind of rebelled against the emperor. And so he had to make sure that he was dotting his I's and crossing his T's and minding his P's and Q's and all that. So anyway. Yeah, and knowing Pilate's history, it could have gone any, any direction. Right. Uh, which is really crazy when you think about it. But, you know, Matthew gives us a, a really good picture of what happened in uh, Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 11 and going down through um, verse 26. And what Matthew records about all this is that he says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him the message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed, handed over to be crucified. Wow, just you hear that. I mean, there's, and there's so much potential like, for, the, for the whole what if in there. But the reality is what really happened. Pilate's wife coming and saying, oh, don't do it. Don't have anything to do with this guy. I've suffered. I've been having dreams about him, and it's it's just tormenting me. But Pilate, you know, he's trying to find an excuse to let Jesus go. He had the authority and the power to do so, but yet he didn't do it. Because of the pressure of the crowd, he turned loose a criminal, a murderer, a zealot in place of the king, of the prince of peace. And turned this murderer loose and had Jesus led away to be flogged and crucified. But even more amazing is where it says that Pilate, definitely not a Christian, not a Jew, I think trying to appease his own conscience, washes his hands and hey, you know what? I'm going to do what you ask. But it's on you, not me. I'm I'm washing my hands of the whole thing. And and he does. And the crazy thing is that 
these people say, may his blood be on our heads. He's, they're basically saying, I'm inviting God's wrath on me, although they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they're inviting God to curse them. And that's kind of a scary thing to think about. I wanted to kind of emphasize something from John chapter 19, if you've got your Bibles. Uh, this is right after people been yelling crucify and all this kind of stuff. And you kind of get a hint in verse 6. This is John 19, verse 6. Uh, after they've been yelling crucify. And Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. So Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. He knows that there's nothing going on. But then it says in verse 7, the Jewish leaders insisted we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, verse 9, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Again, remember that he's kind of on the iffy terms with the emperor, and so they're playing on that. They know that he's kind of at the end of his rope, and if he goes any farther, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get him. And so they use that, but uh, it's interesting too. My favorite verse in, out of all of that is verse 11. You would have no power over me unless it was given to you. Jesus is again acknowledging, I'm in charge here, Pilate. You think you are. All those people out there who are yelling and screaming for my crucifixion, they think they're in charge, but I'm in control. We're going to make sure that this salvation thing happens. Amen. And one more thing. I, I could, can't skip this, sorry. <laughs> we'll be here all day. No, I won't. The other thing, if, if, Pilate had, if Jesus hadn't been crucified, we would have missed out on the amazement and the fulfillment of one of the most specific uh, prophecies that we have in Psalm 22. And I'm not going to read the whole psalm for you, but if you were to read the whole thing, you'd say that it was written at a time when crucifixion was a thing but it was written years and years before crucifixion was invented. People are really inventive in the way that they figure out how to kill people in horrible ways. And so they finally came up with it, but years before that, like hundreds of years before this, uh, I'm just gonna read bits and pieces here from Psalm 22, starting, uh, I'm just gonna read verses seven and eight. It says, all who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads, he trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. If you remember, that's what the, the people were, who were mocking Jesus said while he was hanging on the cross. And we'll skip down to verse 14. It says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It's melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And I'm telling you that the Roman soldiers who cast lots for his garment didn't know the scripture. They were just doing what they always did. 
hey, this guy's going to die. We're taking his clothes. Let's see who gets them. And so it's pretty amazing that hundreds of years before uh, that God made it work this out, he said, I'm going to make sure that you know this is the guy and this is another one of those incidences. And let me say again, if Pilate gives into the crowd, there's no sacrifice, there's no salvation, we have no hope. Amen. Yeah, that's uh, that's just crazy to think about that, you know? It is. It's so much fun with the what if, but, you know, so far, I think that every what if scenario that we've come up with doesn't work out in our favor at all. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. Because in order to get Jesus to the cross, which we're going to now, in order to get Jesus to the cross, all of these things had to be in place. He had to be betrayed. Uh, he didn't necessarily have to be denied, but in order for us to see what happens afterwards, he, he that needed to take place because he spoke those words, and now he's going to be on the cross. You know, I, I think that that denial thing, though, yeah, is even critical to our salvation. Right. It? Because had Peter not denied Jesus, there's that thought that would he have been the leader of the church? Sure, and it, it taught Peter humility. Yeah. Like, oh, wow, I can blow it pretty big time. Anyway, so Scott, what if Jesus, after being crucified, had come down from the cross? Oh, man, could you imagine the amazement that would have caused on, on that day? I mean, think about this. You got the man, he's already beaten, he's been flogged, he's bloodied, he's a mess, he's He's crucified. He's hanging there, just hanging on by a thread. All these people are are, are gathered around, and they're they're mocking him. All the religious leaders and all these people from the crowd that had said, "Let's crucify him." It's like they maybe people that had followed for so long. Now they're all like mocking him and all this. And then all of a sudden, maybe in a flash of light. Jesus is all of a sudden maybe glorified like he was in, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that? And all of a sudden, he's no longer on the cross, but now he's standing in the midst of the crowd going, what were you saying? <laughs> you want a piece of me? Yeah. <laughs> now, go ahead. Talk bad about me now. Imagine the fear, the awe, the amazement that would have taken place at that, at that moment. And, I mean... You think he had he had followers before he was crucified? I'm pretty sure that there's not a person in Israel that wouldn't have been following him if that would have happened. But in Israel, he probably would have been made king. But the reality is, is not the king we needed. He may have been great for Israel, but what would that have done for us? What if Jesus had come down from the cross? Oh, what do you think, Mike? Well, obviously he didn't. Uh, <laughs> if he had come down from the cross, he couldn't have been the savior of the world. He might have had a following. We probably would still have heard of him. We would have heard of him as some great leader in Buddha, uh, like Buddha or Gandhi or uh, any, any number of people who we have a record of in history. But we wouldn't have the same, we wouldn't have the same Savior. This is just a really brief passage. This is from Matthew 27, and this is verses 38 to 44. Again, we're coming back to what really did happen, okay? Every time we ask this, what if, 
question, we have to come back to what did happen. And this is Matthew 27, verses 38 to 44. It says, two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him, he saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. And in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Amen. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really got into this one. I'm, I'm not going to lie, but. Uh, that, That's good. That, it, yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> but yeah, the thought that, you know, what's most important, even though all that took place and he was mocked and we know he was crucified. But I, I started thinking about that idea of sacrifice and what that what that means for us and in Hebrews Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11 through 14 it says when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made that is to say not a part of this creation he did not enter by, by means of the blood of goats and calves he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood having attained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremoniously unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? And then if you skip down, just a little bit to verse 23. It says, It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ, this is the important part here, for Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. What an interesting what if. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. What a, what a powerful passage there. Yeah. The idea that it had that the sacrifice, he had to be sacrificed. Yeah. And if you remember way back to Genesis, God told Adam in the garden, he says, if you eat from this tree, you'll die. And, of course, we know that Satan said, nah, you're not going to die. You, you'll just be like God, knowing good and evil. And, and God's trying to keep things from you. But we know that, in fact, they did die. Not immediately physically, but through Adam came our spiritual death. 
And until we put our faith in Jesus, we live in that spiritual death. We are by nature objects of God's wrath. We're walking around with, without life, without eternal life in us. And I love this verse in Romans 6, 23. Perhaps you've heard it before. It says, the wages of sin is death. Now, what are wages? They're what you deserve because of what you've done, right? So the wages of sin is death. But the gift, is there any deserving of a gift? No, you just get gifts because people like you or people love you. You get those gifts. But the gift of God, because God loved us, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sure. We don't get what we deserve. We get what we don't deserve. That's the good news. Woohoo! Cool thing is that, you know, without the sacrifice, there's no salvation. We're just we're still lost. We're still hopeless. And that that beautiful gift that God has given us in His Son, I think that's wonderful. It's a gift we have to accept. Jesus had to die. He couldn't save us unless he died in our place. He had to pay the penalty or had to receive the wages of sin in order to credit to us his righteousness and give us the gift of salvation. So if Jesus had come down from the cross, I am on repeat here, no salvation, no sacrifice, no death, no bloodshed for our sin. There's, there's no salvation. There's no hope for us. Yeah, thank God for that. Well, now I've got another question. Now we know that Jesus did die on the cross, right? Um, what would happen if he didn't rise from the dead? We would not be in this room together. We would have zero hope. We would have no... We would only be, if we understood Scripture at all, we would only be waiting for God's judgment and his wrath. We would be under condemnation. If he hadn't raised from the dead, the disciples might have come and visited his tomb for a while. We might actually know where Jesus' tomb is because he still probably would have been a fairly famous guy just because of some of the good teachings he had. People quote famous people from the past, but there wouldn't be any power in it. There wouldn't be any hope for us that someday we're going to spend eternal life with God if he had just died and stayed in the tomb. The disciples would have decorated his grave, made sure we knew where it was. They still speculate about that in, in Israel and say, oh, this is the tomb. But we don't know. He got out of there. He left. See you later. And he lives now. He's interceding for us. And I'm getting ahead of myself. Oh, no, you're, 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 you're good. Uh, yeah, so as we, as we think about that, I mean, Jesus, though, we know, had to, had to rise from the dead. And scriptures scriptures clear about that. But I think one of some of the most amazing things that I found was in Acts chapter 2, verses 24 through 28. We remember that. Peter, the day of Pentecost, and Peter preaching. It says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep hold of him. And then it goes on to say, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. So, yeah, Peter, Peter repeats Old Testament prophecy, but he also says, you know what? 
Jesus had to rise from the dead because without Jesus rising from the dead, again, as Mike so eloquently says over and over, there would be no salvation. I mean, the price was paid on the cross, the sacrifice was made, but the truth is, is that sacrifice would be absolutely nothing without an empty tomb. Because the empty tomb solidifies it because the empty tomb is a promise of new life for us. We become, as it says in 1 Corinthians, we become a new creation. Something new that God has done. The fulfillment of all the promises stacked up in the Old Testament come to light on that day of resurrection. Speaking of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, I'm not going to read the whole passage. If you look 12 to 22, that's where all this argument happened. Actually, the whole chapter, chapter 15, is about resurrection and Christ coming back and what that means for us. But I want to just focus real quickly on verses 17 through uh, whenever I quit. I have a part highlighted, but then I saw another verse. And I thought, That's really good, too. Okay, so uh, verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. That's those who have died. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, we don't have any hope. And people could just like shake their head, bless their hearts. You know, they don't know what they're doing. They're just wandering around. But, verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all are made alive. Okay. That's our hope. Yep. All this is the good news. This is why we're talking about this today, is because if Christ doesn't rise from the dead, we have no hope. In Adam, we all died. Amen. We were all condemned. But in Christ, all can be made alive. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he gives you his life. He gives you his righteousness. And you are, before you even go to heaven, you are raised up and given life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Woo-hoo! There's more. Hey, there's come more. On. Oh yeah. Look, oh right, man. Right, okay. right, right at the end of the chapter. Everything you're talking oh, about. Okay, well, you read it. All right. In... Verse 50, reading down just through 58, Paul writes, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal, mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, letting nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There it is. You can't, you can't beat that. The power of death has been defeated. Jesus did rise from the tomb. The power of death has been defeated. We have been raised up with him. And you know what? Apart from that, nobody gets in. But in him, in him alone, we all in him get to enter into that beautiful, wonderful kingdom for all eternity. Isn't that awesome? It is. It is. Let's pray and thank God for his goodness. I hope that you've been encouraged today as we've gone to God's word. It's important that we understand this. This is the good news. The good news is that those who are born in sin can have life. Those who are born deserving death can have eternal life. This is the good news. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, please do. Can, can I make one more statement? You may. I, I just want to be clear for everybody that's listening. What if is a lot of fun? But the truth is, we got to keep in mind one important thing. There was only one plan. Only one, plan A. God never had a plan B. Right from the beginning, he knew what he was doing. So if you're out there wondering what if, put what if away. Plan A alone. And praise God for that. You want to close this with prayer? Sure. Okay. Oh, gracious, gracious Father. God, we are so thankful that you only had one plan, and it was the perfect plan. Yeah, we may not be able to completely wrap our head, heads around it, and we may wonder at times, what if? But God, you know what? There is no what if with you, and we are so thankful for that. Lord, as we, uh, as we go out today, help us to carry that good news, that plan A with us, and tell everybody about it, what you have done for us, through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. We just want you to have all the praise and all the glory. And thank you that we had the opportunity to, to present your gospel in this way. In your precious and holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.